Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning. My name is Sarah Brearley, and I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, the three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please um, pray with me. Lord, thank you for these words and your perfect love for us. Please be with Joel as he preaches this morning. Help us to um, listen to these words and to his words um, and be open to your message to us. Amen. In 2011, there was a tech employee named Stefan Thomas, and he was finishing up a project, and how he got paid for his work back in 2011 was in Bitcoin. And so whoever was running the project paid to Stefan Thomas uh, 7,000 Bitcoin. Uh, so this is an electronic currency kept in a long and complicated set of codes. And so he received those Bitcoin and then stored them in electronic in an electronic wallet uh, for safekeeping. And these things were password protected. In 2021, when the New York Times ran a story on Stephen Thomas and this Bitcoin, the cumulative value of those 7,000 Bitcoin was $220 million. And so uh, he had received quite a payment for his work and had stored it away in a safe place with password protection. But he lost the password. 
And with this particular electronic wallet, you get 10 attempts to unlock it, to get access to your stuff. And after 10 attempts, if you fail 10 times without opening it up, then the wallet effectively permanently closes and he loses the $220 million in Bitcoin. Well, in 2021, when this story ran, he had failed eight times and had two attempts left. And at this point, just stopped. The means to get uh, his Bitcoin, uh, he had no idea. He thought maybe he wrote down the password, but he lost it. He wasn't going to get access. And so his response was to mail the electronic wallet, the hard drive that contained everything, to get it away from his home in San Francisco and try as best as he can to forget about it. It's hard to forget about $220 million that you've lost the password to. That's just a lot of money. And maybe you uh, don't know exactly what that feels like, but it's likely that you at some point in your life have had a delay in obtaining access to the resources that you need because of password problems. Uh, whether that's your email account, your banking, whether that is medical or insurance or tax documentation, maybe it's assignments or grades where you've had some sort of catch because you didn't have the password offhand to get access. Just as passwords function as the way in which we access resources in our lives, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about the virtue of love. And what Paul is trying to highlight for the Christians in the first century, and I think for you and I today, is that you may have incredible resources, abilities, gifts, things that you can use to serve and care for others, but the way in which Christians access that is through the virtue of love. Love becomes, in a sense, our virtue password to bring our abilities and resources and all that God has given us to use that stuff. So you may have incredible resources, but without love, you have no way of accessing them to use them in a way that honors God. You may have incredible ability, but without love, there's no accessing them in God-honoring ways. You may have the ability to serve and have been serving, but without love, Paul writes to remind us there's no way to use or access those things in God-honoring ways. And so in chapter 13, what is commonly called the love chapter in the Bible, Paul is writing to Christians to help them understand just how important love is. And, and we're going to look at that this morning in three points. The first is love denied, and that will be in verses one through three. Then we'll look at love defined in verses four through seven. Then finally, the third point will be love demonstrated in verses eight through 13. So love denied in verses one through three. Here, Paul lists a number of spiritual gifts, gifts that the Corinthian community had and had access to. And Paul begins to unpack those gifts. He says, you know, the gift of tongues, both of men and angels in verse one, the gift of prophecy in verse two, the gift of knowledge, 
The gift of generosity in verse 3. Servanthood, giving of yourself to others, even to the point of martyrdom in verse 3. All of these gifts are amazing. And it's not that there's a problem with those gifts or those acts or those works per se. It's that when those things play out without love, they are meaningless. Paul uses the description of verse 1 that they're like these clanging cymbals. They're like banging a gong. They're like the sound of a brood of cicadas. Just really loud. They may grab your attention, but you don't quite get it. What's the point? And for Paul, that's what it looks like for Christians to operate with great gifts and abilities, but no love. And so he writes to them trying to encourage them to see that when love is denied in the things that we do, even if we give of ourselves to great effort or to great length or we use our great abilities, it is not in a God-honoring way. And this is a pastoral note. So Paul is not writing to shame the Corinthians. He is not writing here to... um, you know, really pour it on them or to uh, make them feel bad about themselves. His concern is that they have been given great abilities and have great gifts, but that they aren't using them uh, as the fruit of the Spirit would direct them, that they aren't uh, employing their gifts and abilities in ways that honor God. And so for Paul, he writes to them uh, to challenge them to function, to live, to use all that they have, being driven, being accessed by love. Now, that is uh, important to know because each church community has to evaluate, are we using the gifts and resources that we have out of love? One of the great encouraging things to me in my years as a pastor at Mosaic Silver Spring is that by and large as a community, we do often operate out of love. And we're going to talk about how that love is defined. But uh, so we may not struggle in the exact same way as the Corinthians, but it doesn't mean that danger is ever far away. And so we have to raise the question for ourselves. Do I use my gifts and abilities? Do I live in relationships? Am I functioning as a part of a church community out of love? Well, part of answering that question is understanding just what love is. And so in verses 4 through 7, we see love defined. Paul unpacks for us just what it means uh, for love to be love. And this is an important note for each of us because there are countless songs about love and what it means. There are countless ways in which it's portrayed in books and in media and through movies and shows uh, that point out, oh, this is what love looks like. But Paul roots love in Christian communities in the work, character, and person of God. And so in verses 4 through 7, he begins to unpack just what love is. And in verse 4, he starts with some positive attributes. Love is patient and kind. But then shortly after, he turns to talk about what love is not and goes through the list. It It does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love isn't rude. And 
uh, by rude, I think what Paul means in the Greek word that he uses in the original writing of 1 Corinthians is that he, love doesn't do dirt. Uh, love uh, doesn't do shameful stuff, uh, either to or with other people. Love doesn't troll. It's some combination of those usages for what Paul means when he says love is not rude. And he continues on. Love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. And so what you see here is love is not a feeling. It is a virtue. Love is not a feeling. It is a virtue. And that's important to sink in for our lives because so much of what we hear and so much of what we consume is that love is a feeling. It's something you fall into. It's something you catch. It's just something that you can catch a glimpse of at first sight. Now, you may have feelings. You may fall into feelings. You may get feelings at first sight. But love defined from the viewpoint of Scripture is a virtue. It is a pattern of behaviors. So when you tell someone, I love you, you're not describing your feelings as much as you're committing to live day in and day out in relationship to them, sometimes at great cost to yourself, right? When you think about this list and say, this is what love defined is, and it's on display. It's when I engage with others that uh, I'm patient with them, that I'm kind, that I don't envy what they have or do, that I don't boast, that I'm not arrogant, that I look out for their good. I don't rejoice in their wrongs. I pursue the truth. I'm not irritable or resentful. I'm not rude. That is a set of behaviors. That's what we mean by virtue. It's in the decisions that you make day in and day out in a given relationship or in a given household or in a given workplace or in a given school setting with your neighbors. How do you relate to them? is the way in which you relate to them when you zoom out just a bit. So if you were able to kind of hit the zoom out button uh, on your life, are those relationships patterned after this definition of love? That's what Paul is challenging us to consider. And I would make just two comments about that. The first is we can find this helpful in our lives uh, to zoom out and take a look at that, practicing uh, a critical evaluation of just what love is and ensuring that we think about it rightly. Uh, we will constantly hear about love. You may see yard signs about love. You may hear cliches dropped. And really the question for us, for those who have turned to Jesus in faith, for those who have received the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, for those who are producing fruit, that what love looks like for us is the pattern of behavior toward others. And so thinking about it rightly, then practicing it in all our relationships. Part of the second full challenge of this definition of love is that you don't have to be in love just with one person to demonstrate the virtue of love toward them. This is what Jesus meant when he called us to love our enemies. He wasn't saying that we had to think about them well or had to have great affection for them. What he's saying is that we're still called not to act in ways that are arrogant or rejoice in their wrongdoing, 
or that are irritable or rude, but we are to model and demonstrate love. Well, that's a lot more challenging when you think about love that way. Yet this is what Paul calls us to do in his definition. Finally, in verses 8 through 13, Paul gives us a sense of love demonstrated. Uh, This is important because it helps us see that these ideas of love, they come in a context. So for Paul, love isn't something that just each generation figures out uh, for their own. So the Beatles can define for one generation what love is, and then Guns and Roses can define for another generation what love is, and then, uh, you know, Usher can define for another generation what love is, and then, you know, whoever, Justin Bieber, can figure out what love is for another generation. That, it, it's not that fluid because love is rooted in the character of God. So what that means is just as God doesn't change, we can't uh, play fast and loose with the definition of love. It takes place within a redemptive context. Love has been demonstrated. So when the Bible declares that God is love, it's speaking to his character. And when Jesus shows up, it is a demonstration and taking on an embodiment of God's love for us. At least that's how the gospel author John, in both his writing the gospel and in his letters, describes it. So here's what that means. If you are joining us for Liturgy Live this morning and you're not sure what to make of Jesus, then I would urge you to think through how you define love. When you think about love, do you think about a feeling or consider the declaration that Jesus is in the embodiment of God's love to you and that that's accessible to you through faith, that you don't have to qualify for God's love. You don't have to prove yourself worthy of God's love. You turn in faith and receive God's love through your union with Jesus. That is what God's grace means for each of us. And it's out of the overflow of that grace that we then love one another. That love demonstrated is what sets the pattern for you and for I. Because God has demonstrated his love for us in Jesus, we are empowered by his spirit to produce the fruit of love in our relationships. Not with some abstract set of uh, principles to follow, but in following the pattern of Jesus, rooted in God's own character. Love is a virtue for us that's formed in everyday life, not something that we fall into. And so when we think about the growing, vital Christian life, people who are maturing up in their faith, Paul calls us to evaluate, even critically, how we function individually and in relationships and communities in love. That, he says, is the access to living with all our gifts and abilities and all that God has given us that's good, to live with those things faithfully. May he strengthen us to do just that. Let's spend time uh, with the prayers of the people as a community.